0: For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Have a seat and let me pray for you. For us. Lord, we are so grateful for this opportunity once again to come and uh, study your word, to come together and hear it preached. Lord, let it be faithful. Let it be words that are from you and, and empowered by your spirit, Lord. As a church, as Maranatha, as you are showing and affirming and giving evidence to the fact that you are developing and growing us into a brighter and brighter lampstand for our city and surrounding areas, Lord. I pray that we we remain true, that we remain uh, seeking and desiring to understand the whole gospel, desiring to know what the truth is so we can live in a way that is faithful and a testimony to who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your indwelling spirit that guides us and leads us and has rescued us from the depths of our sin. Lord, today as we hear this word, let us remember the gospel and let us be a witness to the false gospels that we are believing. Lord, we love you and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So last week we began this uh, sermon series in Galatians, and as we introduced this series, we looked at the Apostle Paul's authority. We looked at why and how he possessed that authority as well as out of that authority. What is he trying to tell this church? What is he trying to tell us who are reading this letter today, however many thousands of years later? We're trying to process this, this letter written to a church as we are a church. Paul began kind of uh, abruptly by identifying himself, but then he gives a very clear and concise explanation of the gospel. He says, this is my authority. This is who Christ has made me, and this is the truth. I think he began that way because this letter to the Galatians was written in a way to correct some of their missteps, some of their misleadings that this church was taking. As they were knowingly or even even accidentally, moving away from the core foundation of salvation through faith alone. That's why Paul sets the tone with his authority. They're moving away from core doctrines that they were teaching. So Paul begins by setting the tone with his authority and why he sets the motive of our lives within that grace, within that truth of justification by faith alone. We need to understand that. He wants every Christian to recognize that our justification is by faith alone in Christ, and that is it. It is the simple truth. It is not another gospel. It is not in good works, or it is not in our good enough moral standards that we seem to, to generate. As the people of God who are pretty far removed from what the earlier church was going through, we accidentally dehumanize the people in the Bible. We accidentally just look at them as characters in a story and now and again we sort of get jolted back into reality when we read or when we see the humanity of these champions of faith just leap off the page. And it happens here for me in verses six and seven. When I read verses six and seven, I feel, or I, I feel like I can see Paul's faith. I can or I can see his his face rather. I hear the inflection of frustration. I hear his 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 difficulty. I hear that frustration mixed with heartbreak he says in verse 6 i am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there's another one but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of christ paul is not shocked that there are false believers paul is not shocked There are doubters. Paul is not even shocked in the fact that false teachers were attempting to work their way in or around the church. What he's finding difficult and hard to comprehend is that these believers were already abandoning this teaching that they just relatively gave themselves over to. This is uh, astounding to Paul that they have just simply given their life, they have recognized this truth, and they are already giving themselves over this. This word astonished that Paul uses can be translated as amazed. It can be translated as surprised. He is literally astounded. Paul is bewildered over the fact that these believers who were given salvific grace, who then for experience peace, which is the emotional expression of, of that grace, have given it up already. Think about your life. Do you know the truth? Do you know Christ? Do you believe that? Do you resonate with the salvific grace that you have been given? And does it give you peace? If it does, why do we turn to other Gospels? He is utterly confused as to why they were so quick to turn from God. He, he says it just like that. You are so quickly deserting him who called you. Now, when we're wrong, we all get defensive. Am I right? When someone comes at me and they say something about me, I immediately am defensive. Whether I show it on my face or not. You go on the defensive. When someone reveals to us that we have incorrect beliefs or if someone points out uh, some sort of wrong way that we're seeing things or if they tell us that we're dealing with something incorrectly, we all bristle. We all have a, a, this defense mechanism. And oftentimes, what we're really bristling against is their words. What we're often uh, frustrated with is that we don't like the way they say it. They may be correct. They may be absolutely correct. My wife and I, we argue about the argument. Not so much that she is correcting me. It's what she says, but the reason why I don't like what she says is because now I have something to argue with. If she says it wrong, well, now I have something to go back at her with. It's not, it doesn't matter whether she's right or not. And Paul chooses his words very carefully to drive that point. He says that they are deserting him. I'm sure that didn't feel good. These are believers. He's telling them, "You you are turning from Christ. He didn't say that they were confused. He didn't say that they were weakening in their confidence about their faith. He said that they were deserting God because they were choosing something other than Christ. Do you choose something other than Christ to bring peace in your life? Do you choose something other than Christ to comfort you? Do you choose something other than Christ to relax you after a long day of work? This word that Paul uses, this word of deserting, is the same military word for desertion. It carries a very heavy and difficult connotation. This military desertion, Paul saw that they were abandoning the army of truth for the other side. Desertion is no foolish matter. Death is what is brought for those who are deserting False teachers are guilty. False teachers will always be guilty and they will be condemned for teaching false doctrine. But Christians are also and always will be accountable for listening and following wrong beliefs. Paul said in verse 6, they are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel. The truth will always be truth. That is logically impossible to get around. Truth will always be truth. Truth, sorry, if truth is relative, meaning that it can change with any situation or, or any sort of circumstance, then it logically can never actually be truth. If truth is relative and it can change and it does matter the circumstance that we apply it, then nothing can actually be truth. If everything is true, nothing is true. One plus one will never equal three. And the creator of the universe, he, he put in place, he created foundational principles and scientific laws that allow us and allow the universe to operate in and to be measured by constants. This is how he created the world. Truth, by definition, therefore, is singular. Truth must be singular by definition. Otherwise, it can't be truth. And that is why there is no other gospel. That is why there is no different gospel for us to listen to. If Jesus says, I am the only way, then he is either lying or every other system of belief or religion is wrong. It's only one or the other. And that is why our faith is secured in what Paul bases his authority in. He bases it in the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we too would be leaving. We would be believing. Uh, sorry, we would be believing a false truth. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we too would be believing a false truth. But he was, and there is evidence for that. We don't have time to go into all those different evidences, and we do some of this stuff in our community groups, so I would encourage you to ask them, ask me. But there is evidence, there is truth, there is logical truth for Christ's resurrection. And all of the Christian faith hinges on that truth. But Paul says, Paul says in verse 7, But there are some who trouble you. And they distort, they want to distort the gospel of Christ. I've said this often that we are always being discipled. We have to be wise because the world is always working to disciple us in its own way. The world is always trying to teach us. It's always trying to gain our, our, our attention. I was talking to Alex just today about how Instagram sucks me in. He says, they designed it that way. I said, I know the world is always attempting to disciple us. Remember last week, I told you that false teachers were in Galatia. They were called Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians who were making the Gentile Christians follow Old Covenant laws. This is what this entire letter is about. They were essentially teaching that there was more needed for salvation. They were saying, yes, Christ sacrifice, but also the law. Yes, Christ's death is sufficient, but you also need to circumcise and follow the dietary laws and all the other things that we're telling you that you have to do. They were saying it was Christ's sacrifice plus the law that was necessary. The Christian gospel, though, the truth where freedom falls, the Christian gospel is that salvation is a free gift of grace. It's free. There is no else, there is no other, there is no addition. It's free. It's given to us by Jesus Christ, and that produces peace within us. When we receive that grace, we also receive the emotional response of peace. The people of Galatia were troubled because they were following the law, which is not grace, and it can never produce peace. It can never produce peace because you're never actually sure if you've done enough or if you're good enough or if you're, you're, you're working so hard to achieve what you think you need. Believing that you're good enough for God is a distortion of the truth. That is that's a very difficult force in the suburbs. We want to be good enough. But believing that we are good enough for God, I'm a good person, therefore I should go to heaven, is a distortion of the truth. And it troubles people. It troubles the person because if you're honest, we know that no one stands favorable in our own moral standards. No one upholds our own level of accountability. No one. We all know that we're not good enough. And here's the truth again, here is freedom. You've never been good enough. You've never been good enough. None of us, but Jesus is, and in fact, he is perfect, and he is here today, and he is ready to wash you clean of your sin. That is the truth. That is the gospel. Christ's righteousness is infinite, so it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, and hear this, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Man, do we need to hear that. We aren't fixed in an instant at times. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Christ is ready to wash you clean today. Christ comes for the ones who know that they're weak, not the ones who believe that they're safe in their own power. That's the truth, but it's not always what we hear. That's not always what we hear from family members, from friends, from coworkers, from the world, from Instagram. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There are people who distort the truth, and that's why Paul qualifies what he says here. He says if they preach truth, they will be accursed. But the gospel in which they received is exactly what I just told you. If you are a believer already, if you are a believer and you are sitting here today, remember that truth and understand that truth. Because time and time again, we will have to remind us that grace is free and peace is available. There's nothing that will transform you like grace will transform you. Don't add to the gospel. Don't say, I must be this person so Christ will love me. And if you are here today and if you don't believe, maybe you're angry at this truth. Maybe you are frustrated at what I'm telling you because you see the cracks and the flaws of someone in your life who claims to be a Christian. Maybe you see the difficulty in their life and you say, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. Maybe you're angry because you believe that there should be laws for Christians and how we're supposed to operate within this world. Maybe you're angry with this truth because it doesn't seem like the world restricts us that they let us choose whatever type of life that we want. But that's a lie as well. Because you're only accepted as long as you pander to what they tell you. Listen. Listen to this. If you don't believe... If you don't believe, I know you are not foolish enough to think that if you meet someone out there in the world, right off the bat, when they meet you, they're going to tell you how bad they are. I know you're not that foolish. None of us are. But the thief doesn't tell you that he's about to rob you. The liar doesn't tell you to your face that he's lying to you. And the people who are teaching this, the people who are are, are manipulating us, they're peddling false truth. They preach it like it's true because false truth seems plausible. There's emotion there. And we are emotional when we hear it because it feels so good because it speaks to our dark hearts. It's emotional, but emotional sincerity can disguise all sorts of wrong intentions. And it can lead us into all sorts of accidental deceptions. Just out of the fact that it feels sincere. There are times we don't even know that we're being misled because, again, false truth seems plausible. False false truth seems to make sense. False truth seems to be, you're a good American. False truth seems to say, you need to be a good neighbor. False truth seems to say, like, you shouldn't say it like that. You should say it like this. There's all sorts of false truth that seems plausible that we add to grace. Paul is talking about justification. Justification. In order for us to understand the gospel and what's able to be provided for us, we have to understand grace, and that grace is justification. That grace comes to us through Christ. Justification is the spiritual means by which we are only able to be forgiven through Christ's death on the cross. He pays the penalty that we deserve to pay. The Judaizers were adding to the means of grace the power of justification, which is the means of salvation, is accomplished accomplished by anything other than Christ or anything more than Christ, then we are robbing Jesus of his authority and position as Messiah and Lord. If we add anything to grace, we are robbing Jesus of his position and power as Messiah and Lord. Period. Here's what John Calvin said, and it's really this simple. By making works a part of salvation, we are left with an imaginary Christ. We foolishly try to rob God of his glory and power if we think that we can save ourselves. And the sad reality is that we do it all the time. Man, we do it all the time. Paul is talking about our efforts to be good or at least be seen that way. If we come across as good enough people, then we don't need anybody, including Jesus Christ. That's that false truth of this faith is personal. I don't talk to anybody about it because it's just me and God. What the Judaizers are teaching is legalism. And all you have to do is follow the rules. That's what they're saying. Just follow the rules and you're going to be good. On the surface, that seems easier. It seems that we can accomplish that. But in the end, it's not easy. And it, and it voids out grace as well as then we never actually experience peace. Because you're never good enough. You never know if you've done enough. But maybe you don't think you have clear and present rules that you follow, but do you have superstitions? You may not say like, oh, yeah, I follow this line and I read it every morning. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do each and every day. I know how many uh, grains of rice I'm supposed to eat. I know how to sacrifice a lamb. Maybe that's not you. It's not me. But possibly you have superstitions. Superstitions. Have you ever caught yourself believing that something only happened because you did it like this? Or have you ever told yourself that it's your fault somehow because, if you, weren't, because you weren't there and you weren't able to keep something from happening? Lies are like that. They, they bring in truth but manipulate it in a way where it, it twists it and changes it. Because these are lies that we believe and they're founded in a false belief around our own position of God. It may not seem like this. When we look at our superstitions and they give us comfort, it may not seem like this, but what you're telling yourself is, if I perform, God will bless me. Look for superstitions in your life, because what you're telling yourself is, if I perform, God will bless me. This is what we're doing. This is exactly what we're doing. We say, I better do this. Oh, and I better not do that, because then God won't love me. We tell ourselves, perform, be blessed. It's our application for life. So Paul is speaking again. Paul is telling the Galatian people, you can't do anything. It is grace and grace alone that you are justified. What we're telling ourselves is another gospel. So I ask, I ask, and I want you to ask me, is there a standard in your life that you believe that you have to keep in order to feel loved by God? Is there a standard that you keep that makes you feel that you are loved by God? And when you step out of that, has God stopped loving you? That is deception. I'm not talking just about obedience that has to do with our money. How do we manage our money? I'm talking about how we work in our positions at work. The influence that we desire. The image that we create. Even the children, how they perform in public. Is there a standard? If there's a standard that you made, then you're not living in grace. To know the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to understand grace. And it's free. This is hard, but it is free. It is life-giving. It is peace-enveloping. It just... Fills your soul with comfort and just you're able to breathe and, un, uh, un, and take off the yoke of frustration. Grace is hard to preach. Grace really is for, uh, for a church. It's hard to understand and it is hard to preach because it's actually pretty easy to follow up. It's pretty easy to to twist what grace is telling us. Grace is easy to preach. It's hard to preach because it's pretty easy to follow up, but it's actually easy to preach because it's actually the only thing that can change our hearts. Grace is hard because we hear sometimes, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Paul handled that in Romans. He said, by no means. By no means. But grace is easy to preach because it's the only thing that will actually change our hearts. Grace is freely given to those who repent and believe. Even if we sin, we are reminded that we have an advocate who sits at the throne and intercedes on our behalf. Remember, Christ is alive. He is interceding for us today and every day at the throne. We follow it up because We try to use it for our own autonomy. We take this gift and only use it as a free pass to get into heaven. We live how we want to live and wrongly cling to cheap grace. We are created to honor and glorify God. But we're broken because of all sorts of sin in our life. If we see grace simply as a pardon, then we will never be made right. And we will never have our hearts truly transformed. If it's just simply a get out of jail free card and you can slide that in your back pocket and you're good to go, we will never truly be transformed the way that God wants to transform us. And that's into the likeness of his son. You say that that's too high of a hill to climb. You are right. That's why he gave you his spirit. The grace that this gospel allows us to possess is the power that makes us overcomers of the world. This power that's at work within us is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This powerful grace makes us into new creations so we are no longer who we were. We are no longer our addiction. We are no longer our depression. We are no longer our anger. We are no longer our sin. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are born again into adoption not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. We make grace hard to preach even if it's easy to receive but we can't work to please men and women through flattery. We can't just say yeah it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We can't just flatter. We can't just make people feel good. We must preach truth. The truth will force us to change, and change is hard. That's why we walk through Scripture. Because the Spirit speaks to us and transforms us, and He molds us and shapes us, and that hurts. But it's so good. It brings such peace. Verse 10, For I am now... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There are two terms here that stand out to me, and I wonder if they're getting at two different things. One is approval, and the second is to please. It says, For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? Looking back at the, the original language, approval here is translated from a word that means to persuade. This word approval comes from the word to persuade. It's just sort of like a mental agreement, And it's the same word used in Matthew 27 when the Pharisees persuaded the other Jewish people to let Barnabas go and destroy Jesus. The word... To please man is translated from a word that's more like emotional acceptance. It's like this, uh, an alluring for gain. So there's sort of this mental ascent as well as this emotional desertion or decision. The same word was used in Matthew 14 when a girl danced for the king, when she danced for King Herod in order to seduce him so she could get him to cut the head off of John the Baptist. So with that information, we see how serious it is to listen to the world. If we listen to the world, it is serious. And if we knowingly or even unknowingly work to promote another gospel, then we're opposing what the Bible teaches. That's scary. We are opposing what the Bible teaches. Adding in those translations, let me read verse 10. For I am now, for am I now seeking to be a persuader of men or of God? Or am I trying to emotionally manipulate man? If I were still trying to seduce man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, while he was Saul, worked at pleasing man through his obedience to the law, and he was really good at it. He worked at pleasing man through his legalism, through his time as a Pharisee, and he was really good at it. And at the time, he believed that he was serving God rightly. He believed. He didn't do what he did out of... Out of a, A hate for the Lord. He thought he was loving God correctly. But when grace finally met him on the road to Damascus, his entire perspective was changed. And he realized that he was seduced by another gospel. He realized that he was seduced by legalism. He realized that he had added something to true faith like what Abraham had. At that moment, just like in this moment, as it can happen for you, he gave himself over to be a servant of Christ. In that moment. And Paul didn't understand everything in that moment, as we're going to study later on in this letter. He talks about the years of processing and understanding truth to go and be who he is in history. He didn't know everything, and you don't have to know everything, but he gave himself up in that moment just the same. He says, I don't understand everything, but I understand that this is the truth, and I'm going to give myself over to it. The same thing can be done in you, Christian or non-Christian. Let go of your superstitions. Let go of the things that you are clinging to in your own effort. Let go of the image that you're trying to promote to the world. Let grace wash over you because you are justified in Christ. Let grace wash over you because you are justified by Christ. Anything else is just a recommitment to our own autonomy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us how there are two different roads and they lead in kind of the same direction, but one leads to destruction and the other leads to eternal life with God. One is narrow and paved by Christ and the other is wide and seems easy because it speaks with this deception and talks to whatever will seduce us. The trouble is, both have signs posted that say, this way to heaven. One leads to heaven, one leads to destruction. One is paved by Christ and one seduces us into that destruction because it speaks to what our hearts long for in our sin. Both say heaven, so how will we know which road we're on? How will we know who or who not we're supposed to listen to? Jesus, Jesus, who is the one who perfectly lived, who died faithfully, and in powerful testimony came back to life because death had no right to hold him, because he was perfect. He says that he is the only way, and that he's given us to each other. Christ's resurrection is the cornerstone of the faith of Christianity, saying this is the way, and everything else is wrong, and it's true because Christ was resurrected. He gave us each other. He gave us the church, his body. He was raised from the dead so we could trust in his divinity and we are the church and we have his word so we can cling to truth. Don't compromise with a lesser gospel. Many of us know it will never satisfy. We've all tried and it never satisfies Instead, quench your thirst with living water, which provides real freedom. Pray with me, please.